Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Michael. As you can see for the first time in many, many weeks, we are wearing something different <laughs> because we didn't record a ton of episodes all at the same time. What are you saying? What do you say? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. All I don't amazing. know what you're talking about. But it is a happy Tuesday, gentlemen. Happy, happy Tuesday, live and in color. Welcome to a snow and cold wintry bay in wisconsin did you guys did you guys get snow i got some snow at my house it didn't stick but i was like what the heck is this all about this is not fun indeed saw the snow yesterday quite a a disappointment we're probably gonna gonna get it we literally like the week we started not recording um we had barbecued the next day flurry snow (laughs) oh boy yeah everyone's been traveling a bit in wisconsin or the midwest Everyone's zooming around. So uh, we had a couple people traveling. Uh, Seth, you were traveling out to the Microsoft MVP Summit. I I did. Got to experience the wonderful same weather of uh, Washington, 50 and drizzly. Uh, there we go. And, Just uh, no snow. Spend, yeah, got to spend fantastic time at the MVP Summit. It was great. Great seeing all the folks again. Obviously, this was the first in, in person. They did a hybrid this year. Um, saw a lot of the other MVPs and, and got to interact a lot and uh, got to see my brother who lives out there and works for Microsoft. So yeah, it was a great week. Excellent. And I, I, I watched virtually and caught a lot of the sessions that they do. They do a lot of you know pro, uh, program management interactions with the MVPs. Uh, we get to go meet the, the PMs and hang out with them and talk to the PMs around just various you know things they're building, stuff that's happening. So we, that's super fun. I super enjoyed that. I really missed not being able to go. Uh, it was I was incredibly disappointed. I already had a trip planned, uh, and I was unable to make it to the MVP Summit this year. So I was super, super disappointed. It kind of came planned a little bit late this year. It was usually it was. they give you like a you know like a November December time frame and say, hey, this is when it's roughly going to be. It's usually the last week of March. So I reserved the last week of March. Then they delayed it, <laughs> and then it was booked on top of my other trip. So maybe next year, but uh, definitely caught up on all the sessions online. Tommy, did you travel anywhere last week? No, I, I worked. I had to work. So Tommy was still, working hard. Uh, no traveling yet. Actually, no, that's that's a lie. Actually, I did work, but um, I had to go to uh, visit my sister. We did a road trip, nine hour road trip to Alabama. Oh, so, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Since so it's a nice drive straight south. So. Straight south. That's almost to the Gulf. Uh, no. So she's in Huntsville. She's, she's like an hour okay. and a half. South I love Huntsville. Nashville. Huntsville is a cool little town. I will tell it you is. that. Well, it is. Is yeah. that where they shoot off a lot of rockets? There a couple times. Yes. Yes. So that is that's my uh, my brother-in-law is a civilian in the army logistics. Oh wow! And the fun part of Alabama is you can walk up to anyone and go roll tide, and they'll say it right back. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know this. Uh, yes. No. Just go up to anyone from Alabama. Just go. Well, make sure they're not from they're Auburn, but you just go roll oh. tide, and they'll look at you go died and they'll keep walking <laughs> like tipping your cap so that's amazing fun with that it was like tipping cows a <laughs> uh, couple things came out this week around the microsoft blog so one of the items that came out recently was create a power bi report inside a jupyter notebook quite interesting this is kind of a neat little feature that was recently released by the microsoft product team um initial reaction any any thoughts on this one i i think this is an interesting feature i'll need to play with it a bit more i haven't had a whole bunch of time to like really get into making a jupyter notebook spin and and build things here but any initial thoughts 
I think I think the same as yours. It'll be interesting. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking for ease of use. Yes. Um, because uh, obvi- like I'm a big Databricks guy, right? And they've updated their reporting and visualization layer, and it's yeah. very it's it's very nice. The great great upgrades that they made, but it's very integrated, right? It's very easy to just instantly go from an output into a visual. Yes. So I'll be I'll be interested in like how quickly I can do that with this plugin. It, in uh, in the independent Jupyter notebook, it feels like, and again, I'm going to kind of talk tactical about it. It's it feels like what they're doing is you're allowed to engineer data inside the notebook, and in notebooks you have these things called cells. So a cell basically does some work on the information of the data. The output of that cell could be a data frame. So in the memory would, would reside a a data frame or basically a table. Data scientists call it a data frame, but it's like a table. Then it sounds like what you're doing is you're able to then inject okay, take this table and shove it into a Power BI report and the Power BI report automatically creates itself based on some columns and data types. So it's kind of interesting because it's doing a lot of automatic things. It's taking a data frame, it's detecting data types of columns, it's auto-building visuals for you and visualizing on a page, here's a bunch of bar charts or categorical things that are showing you information about your data, which seems interesting. But again, I'm also to the point like in the Databricks world, you do visualization there it's like you build one visual it's like a single visual that you build in how power bi is implementing it it's more like a little mini data model yeah. like they're injecting the data directly into a an iframe that is a power bi report and then you can then change the visuals and make multiples and i i could see that being valuable maybe for some test scenarios but i'm, I'm still kind of a little bit at a miss as like where's the real value of this one oh yeah my gold nugget is I've been spending way too much time in PowerShell and uh, PowerShell. Oh, yes. Jeez, I, man. Like <laughs> go hardcore, I guess. Well, no. So I, I actually, I, I, I did a post on LinkedIn and I just said the wins in terms of, man, there's a lot of things with Python and power BI, obviously the visual integration, people are talking more and more about Python in general. Yes. One of the fastest growing languages. And I saw this, it was like, okay, I like in terms of what I want to learn, I was like, I think Power BI developers, you know, are, do they need to know power, uh, Python? And they got a lot of reactions. And Mr. Greg Brachiosaur, um, who want to make sure that we're live. <laughs> so we're live right now. Uh, he, we had this a bit of a dialogue going back, but I think for me, this is like, okay, there's too, there's too many reasons for me not to learn Python, at least on a basic level. Yes. Uh, and, and it does, I don't think, it's a requirement, but it just makes more and more sense. And what I'm sorry, we're doing. you started by saying PowerShell, and now we're talking about Python. Well, I'm saying I've been spending too much time learning oh. PowerShell and but other I, languages. Now you're right, trying. Exactly. So now you're saying like there's a lot of other languages. There's a lot know. of other languages. Yeah. And I, I, to me, it's like okay, I need to invest time if I want to learn a language or become an uh, an expert in language. Makes more sense to do Python. I I still we, think I will 100% rely on SQL runs the world like I, you, you cannot fight with me all day long i still think sql runs the data world a hundred percent however i'm finding very to your point tommy i'm finding with these new these notebook things and you i'm a big databricks user so i love using databricks and and that mm-hmm. that design experience is very python based and so i see that creeping in more and more and i'm also seeing this whole spark ecosystem mm-hmm. becoming increasingly important in the data yeah. space in general so i think that the trend here is learn Python, be really good at SQL, and mix the two together because that's going to be really 
that's going to be your data engineering languages. That, that's what you're going to data engineer with. I think yeah, that's you a, know, coming coming from my background of just hardcore SQL, I couldn't agree with you more. Right? <laughs> you <know? laughs> like, but at the same time, like I'm just uh, the Python. I'm going to learn. Hopefully, just dovetails into uh, you know when we get the you know the prompts or. Uh, <laughs> The, the help the help oh the, yeah. the chat gpt look, look at the, the yeah. vs code copilot like all the, the copilot that's what yeah, i was, yeah, I was yeah. thinking of all the extensions that work really well with vs code are python based usually yeah this yeah. is yeah. one of the more popular languages so and and i know it's it's really prevalent in the the teaching cycles right of, mm -hmm. of python and, and data engineering and this is where we've we've done multiple podcasts of like what is a bi person and right. the, the dev bi developer right and and i think we, we speak in the enterprise space, right? So when you're working with big companies or big data sets, and mm -hmm. ultimately, like, this is where data is going to go pretty quickly, as long as organizations want to plug into cloud services, because you wouldn't normally just do this with your own hardware, but the volumes of data, right? So yeah. you're going to be playing in arenas and with these tools, and Python is one of those that that is a, a great uh, and widely popular language that, that helps you do that ETL. <laughs> And it fits it fits these frameworks really really well as well. But at the same time, every like I haven't run into I think regardless of which company that hasn't invested an insane amount of time to get SQL to work in these environments because it is it's been the prevalent data language for forever and a day, right? Mm -hmm. And and I think by nature it is going to be something that like um, any developer of reports at any level would be your first first step before jumping into Python, yeah. because I think you're going to use SQL in um, whether that's like a business unit moving into working with databases, et cetera, like the vast majority of companies out there have SQL, have a MySQL, have, you know, the that that sort of interaction interface. So you guys also are talking about code based things that are make it easier for you to write Python. Tommy, you should check it out, put it in the chat window as well. Microsoft released uh, I guess this would be data wrangler? A, yeah, the data wrangler oh, introducing yeah. data wrangler. So the data wrangler release as, as March 16th is amazing. Ridiculous. It's super cool. And it does a lot of that. It, you, it, is, it basically is like, it's almost feels to me a little bit like power query, power query yes. on top of Python. I was like, Oh, this makes so much sense to me. Like, Oh, I want to, I want to, you know, group these columns and summarize something great. Or I want to like, this is what I wanted. Like, I don't want to write code. I want to just have an, a UI that does like 90% of the data manipulations, write me code behind the scenes, and then allow me to tweak the code later on. So, oh, I see it just yeah. made a function here. It defined a function. I don't think I need that. I'm just going to delete that part around it and just keep the, the individual data frame portions or whatever that thing is. Like, you, I really like it. So I thought, thought that's, that's going to be a really cool tool. And that's actually, you can get that for Visual Studio Code today. Um, yeah, I really like this. So I think that's going to be a new, a really good thing to learn moving forward. It's also nice to see that they're playing in the um, open, open source area. Open source area. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, there's a lot more community based projects. Like if you find if there's a problem or if there's something that the tool doesn't do, go ahead. It's on it's on GitHub. Like go add your little thing, and then Microsoft can review it and add. I've done a couple additions to or modifies to the Microsoft Docs because I saw something was wrong or like how I understood themes or whatever. I, I added a little blurb. And said, "Here's a way. Here's an easier way of explaining this based on how I understand it." And they've actually taken some of our changes awesome. and allow you to yeah. edit some of their documents. So I think this is really good for Microsoft to continue to push towards that open source community piece. I think people will be more apt to use it because it's a bit more free and open source. 
Well, and I, I think you're you're opening the audience too, right? Like that's true. If you if you continue to talk to uh, students, right? Microsoft has always not been the prevalent tool set that mm. kids are learning at things university. On, yeah, right. University yeah. students that yep. this this it, it like Jupyter notebooks are are a thing for sure, right? Especially when you get a yep. plugin like this that or a library that package allows you to you know incorporate that as a visualization. You know, maybe that's another play into this. And, and there's no excuse to not easily understand or the the basics of there with all the tooling out there, like Copilot Labs in VS Code, Chat GPT basically defaults to Python if you don't specify a language. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, there's there's no barrier to entry here where it's like, okay, what book do I read? Yeah, you can read a few books, but man, I mean, this is I feel like the easiest l- language to start learning. I would agree, and there's and there's. Part of learning a language is having lots of examples and lots of documentation yeah. out there. And there's nothing more having higher amounts of documentation than Python. Yeah. Like there's just, you can literally Google it and there's just a, yeah. a million things that show up. So that again, makes it also very easy there. And again, chat GPT, Hey chat GPT, write me a function that loads this and does this with, with in Python. Boom. It's like, it's pretty on point. <laughs> it's so good. Anyways. So good. So good. It's so good guys. Any other uh, major topics or announcements that you guys wanted to touch on before we get going? Oh, I guess we would be remiss. Did we talk about dynamic string formats in measures? Have you played with this one at all? There's a blog article around from Zoe talking about using dynamic dynamic formatting strings for measures. I, it's it's a preview feature right now, I believe. So you have to go turn it on inside desktop. This one is pretty interesting, what it's what they're doing with this. And I, I really like this idea. Well, it's another kind of uh, uh, solution alternative to calculation groups. Yes. Yes. Like and, yeah. yeah. And again, since you can't really build calculation groups in desktop, this is, right. a, good, this yeah. is a good alternative to like yeah. not being able to do that. That's well, the only alternative. It's like the only alternative. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I, so I really like this one. Again, it, it's going to get... I feel like this is going to then uh, trigger a flurry of SQL BI articles that will be like, hey, here's how to do this efficiently and effectively, and I'll be lost and and, and over my head again. But uh, this is another feature that I think came out. This came out in middle of April, but we were, I think, recording videos at the time. So we may, we may have missed this one. We're talking about it. For like currency format strings. That's interesting. Yeah. Seth just learned about this feature right now. I did. <laughs> I've been a, a little busy. <laughs> and you can, you can do like, you know, I think you can do like switch statements on stuff yeah. and you can do like, so it's going to, it's going to let you be like a lot more dynamic and what the string format is. And so it's a, it sounds to me like it's a measure that is defining what is in the format right. portion of that column or string. So you could, you could change from currency. You could have different types of currencies. You could even change like the you know, commas and you could change it between like commas and decimals midstream inside a formula because you can detect if it's a, which kind of currency it is and then say, oh, it's it's UK. So therefore, it's switching the commas and decimals, which I don't know why you do that. It just seems so weird to me. But anyways. Another another neat feature that's out there. Be curious if anyone, I'm sure Greg Baldini has spent tons of time figuring out how to make this optimized and simple. He's already have to dig into this one. optimization techniques. Yep. So. Yeah. Excellent. Greg, while, while we move on, please enlighten us in the chat. There we go. Um, <laughs> so... On to our actual topic of the day, 16 minutes in here. So let's get into our, our main topic today. Today, we're dissecting 
a video that came from Enterprise DNA. Um, I forgot the gentleman's name who was doing the video. Who's the uh, one? Sam McKay. Sam was doing it. So Sam was going through a video on how to how to interpret or digest or dissect someone else's report. And I thought he gave a really a couple good really key points in this video. So uh, I'll put the video here in the chat window so that way you can watch this on your own at your own leisure. So here is the video, which is actually probably not the best idea because we, you know, hey, you're walking you're watching a podcast, Shared here's another video you can go it. watch. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we trust our we trust our audience. We trust our Yeah. You'll come back. You'll come back. So here's the video from Sam. It's in the chat window. Um, and it, it basically goes through what I would call infographic level reports or reports that are based more like an app. There, there's a lot more to these reports. And he basically dissects them and says, here are some techniques that I use when someone gives me these reports or, or how do you learn better techniques in report building? And to some degree, I really agreed with a lot of his comments around you study other people's designs and trying to understand what they built. And I, I resonated this with, with this a lot when I was talking with Seth. We had Miguel, Meyer, Miguel Myers mm -hmm. at our user group in Milwaukee, and he was doing things we'd never seen before. And we were like floored. Like, how are you getting rounded bars on a bar chart? What, what, are you, what voodoo are you doing here? And how are you getting this gradient thing to show up? And what are you doing? Like, he was doing things that we didn't even know was possible. And we were like, just on the floor, like drooling over whatever this stuff was. So... We were like grilling him, like, how did you do this? Can you share the files? Can you show me what's here? Where, what is this build as? How do, you, how do you make these things? And so um, this is like one of these scenarios where you're getting access to these really highly stylized, highly visualized reports and trying to digest them. So let, let's, I'll pause right there. Initial thoughts on the video or initial thoughts on this topic? Yeah, I think you teed it up pretty well. The only thing I would add is okay. he he sees all these because they run a contest, right? So they, that's true. They, they yes. do the same sort of theming. There, there's multiple different visualization groups out there that run mm -hmm. RBI contests, right? So yes. the, these Wednesdays. are like the creme de la creme of your of your reports that yes. you would typically probably build for an executive or for for something that's going to go out to the entire company you know, where, where you're spending a lot of time. But the, the good part about that is for him, it offers him an avenue of seeing a lot of complex implementations where, you know, it, bookmarks, like how do you, how do you page between, you know, different pages, all of the hidden tabs? Um, what are all of the things in the realm of Power BI in terms of features that we can implement that aren't readily, readily, readily uh, understandable and you have to dig into them. And what I liked about it from the high level is I, a lot of this, I just take for granted, you know, you, you work with the tool a lot and you're like, okay, well I jump on this page and I do these things. So he breaks it out really well for um, I think users who aren't familiar with how complex things can get mm -hmm. um, and, and gives a good path into helping understand how to like, just you're dropped into a report page and you you see all these you know highlights and buttons and interactions and overlaid things and how how do you start to digest what's all going on and I, I think it, it's very valuable in kind of outlining that um, from a um, an experience level to people who may not be familiar. And the enterprise DNA team actually has a nice um, 
you know, latest Power BI showcases. Uh, Tommy, there's also a showcase that you have that you've looked at before. I keep forgetting the name of it. I must have, I must have bookmarked it. Wow's. Um, there's an, isn't there another, oh, Novi Pro, I think is another one. I think, I, yeah, I sent that before. So. Yeah, so Novi, there's another one called Novi Pro. Enterprise DNA has like a, a gallery, basically. Here's a bunch of reports people have made, and you can see kind of what they've built, and then, you know, kind of look at, you know, use their live demo and or dissect their reports a bit to see, oh, how did they build these things? How, do, how can you actually get your hands on understanding these techniques that people are using inside reports? So those links in the... I, I think window. for me, like I, I love the video by Sam. I was going through that and thinking, okay, what are the use cases where I, I would want to do this either from if I was a consultant and internally uh, or just on, on my own. And I think depending on the situation, you're going to be approaching it differently in terms of what you're trying to get out of it. There's obviously if you're migrating that report to your team, uh, or migrating the data or in a sense of like what you're trying to measure. I, I had a situation where there's this template that came from a, like you buy the service, it comes with a template. And I mean, if anything ever looked like an application, it was this report and you break down like, oh, the background's actually an image. I thought those were all objects and you're trying to break down what are they trying to do here and what are they measuring? Um, that That's a completely different method. I think methodology in terms of what you're trying to get out of it compared to trying to learn a new technique. And I think for me, those are the two separations. I think it's either trying to learn a best practice or a new technique. There's kind of approaches and kind of what you're trying, um, a method of what you, how you approach that report compared to migrating a report to your team, because you may not want to keep all the features in that, in the bookmarks and the selections. So if, I feel like there's there's different so I feel like when we talk about reporting there's like I think three kinds of reporting that I think mm -hmm. about right there's there's kind of like the analyst level reporting which would be less pretty more visuals on a page and I'm and it's kind of more of a self discovery here's a bunch of information in a data model go find some inf go find some insights on top of that data that's an analyst level report it's kind of overwhelming to give that around to other people I think another kind of reporting type is like enter like a C level or or management level reporting. Talking more about KPIs, things that matter, action-based decision making, right? When I look at this report, I need to go do something. I need to go talk to my sales team. I need to, you know, there's there's action-based reporting in that one. So I'm I'm kind of trying to craft there are a handful of questions I'm trying to answer and I'm trying to have you walk away from the report and do something. And I think the, the third type is like this infographic level, right? It can, it's a bit more self-discovery, very much more on the visual emphasis, right? Looking really, I and mean, I see a lot of the, when you look at infographic level reporting, it feels to me there's a lot more images. There's a lot of like colors. The background is, is stylized. There's potentially a lot less visuals on the page. I'm telling more of that story of what I, I'm trying to guide you along for some information. So I think I think those are the three types that I see. And again, the things that Sam decompressed here, if I'm trying to learn new techniques, I'm probably trying to learn techniques from those highly stylized reports because they're the ones that are really pushing the edge of like what you can develop. And then it's then it becomes a problem of how do I pick the right feature set from that very highly like I could build that in my local reports or my my analyst reports. But is it worth the time? It's not a copy paste. It's not a copy paste. You can't copy paste. Like these are things you just can't straight up build. Like it takes some time and thought. And so Sam also made mentions in the note here that I resonate with. 
He goes, you're making your report feel more like a data application. And I'd agree with that. We've talked about this a lot in the podcast. Like we're building data apps. This is an application of a lot of things you can look around data. Yeah, I, I'm a little leery with like jumping on board with the infographic because to me there there's a story involved in that, right? Like you're leading yeah. people into like, so like highly stylized is where I kind of end with mm. like the, the stuff in... Be, because it, it's it's not everything that we're doing a lot of the times in companies and reporting is not infographic you're not you're not just tr you're not tr creating the story in the report leading somebody to a conclusion what you're doing is you're creating a really rich stylized like application that like they just don't they don't understand that there's 20 pages in here right it's just it looks like this yeah. really unique single page experience where you know, they get to click on this button and see a filter of, you know, all these visualizations change, but they don't realize that it's a mix of bookmarks or different pages or et cetera. And that's where mm -hmm. I think the the levels of detail in here um, are are how he goes about it, right? So, like, I guess my question to you guys is, do you do you approach um, the um, understanding of what's happening on these pages in the same way, right? So his method that he goes through in the video is he first looks at all the hidden tabs or all the tabs in the report. Yeah. Then he opens up bookmarks. Then he opens up selections. Do you guys follow that same like precedence when you're trying to understand like, hey, I'm, I'm landed on a new report page. I'm seeing as I you know scroll my cursor all over that canvas, a whole bunch of things pop up. Or do you have a different method? So I'll usually start with probably what seems to be the more the most popular or like the landing page, the summary, the summary page. Mm -hmm. And I'll do a simple control A just to see how many objects are there because usually oh, that's a good there's one. Objects that's a good yeah. objects. And you go, what in the world? Mm -hmm. I've seen things where they've used a table, but they minimized it so much only just for like to make it a line. And it was pretty neat to do, but you never think of that. Um, but I, I usually start with the high level page and I'll try to click around myself before looking at the bookmarks just mm -hmm. to see what's intuitive, uh, like, and what are the options? And then I will go to the selections. Then I would go to, uh, like the bookmarks, but I'll try to see basically all the objects and what's the layering. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in my technique, when I'm looking at reports, most of what I, I can look at many reports on. RBI and know how they're built without, without even like touch. Like I can just watch people click on things and see, Oh yeah, I kind of know how that, I can, I can mm -hmm. mentally model out what they're doing. Yeah. So usually when I'm finding reports, if I'm going deeper on them, I'm typically trying to figure out there is a, there's a technique they used. There's something that was changing or dynamically like animating or something. So one report I'm thinking of, um, Armin van der Stood or something like that. Armin, oh, yeah over and I'm not sure over in the Europe uh, area somewhere had made a report one time where you clicked on something and this, this like map would like zoom into focus in the background. And I was like, how the heck did he do that? So usually what I'm looking for is like stuff that I don't know how to do. So it's, Absolutely. I'm not necessarily doing like a full assessment of the entire report. I'm usually looking at very key design elements that I didn't understand how it was created. Like, okay, that I can learn from that piece there. I'll go to learn that. But I think that also comes from like doing this for nine years, right? We've right. spent so much time visually building things. Like we don't have to go through and dissect tables or buttons or like most of that stuff we can kind of understand and just dismiss. Do you so, do, oh, go ahead. 
well to to follow up right like obviously your experience is not like the vast majority of I would agree know, users so yes. do you in in his approach in teaching people how to understand what's on a page do you agree with that approach or do you do diff different things when you're talking to you know people you're training so I would start with so to Tommy's point I do a similar thing to his control a so one of the first things I'd like to look at is what stuff is on the page. I find it's very efficient to go right into the um, selection pane, open that up immediately and figure out what's there. Now, I've also noticed two things when I look at very highly stylized reports. If the person's organized <laughs> when building highly stylized report, you'll typically find that there are folders there. And that's how I build. If I'm building things, I have like a section called the header and there's all the objects at the top of the page. And then I have like the body. Here's things on the main part of the page. And maybe I'll have a couple other things like buttons or navigation. And I'll folderize those different objects into different categories inside the, the selection pane. So it kind of, to me, it helps me make things easier to build stuff initially. But it also makes it easier for someone else to look at my report and see what's being built in there. So I will go to the selection pane and I'll look there to see what's going on. Um, and then from there, if I need to select stuff on the report page, I will just click through the items in the selection pane because then I can see exactly what item is that and where it is. Um, after that, I definitely agree with Sam on the, the next step, which is once you select an item, you immediately open up the filter pane or, or the properties pane, and then you look at all the properties of it. Okay, here's what they turned on or here's what they turned off. And, and that's where I'll go next primarily is to figure that part out. Yeah, I agree with most of that. The, the only, my default though, is always right, right into view, open up bookmarks, open up selections, right? Because that yep. that way yeah. that tells me a lot about what i'm going to find on the canvas or in the report um that i'm that i'm looking at control a is a good one tommy um i i would typically just like move things around or yeah. uh, like mike was saying click through mm -hmm. the selections yeah. um and i think you nailed the the one point mike that i would make is and we did a whole episode on like how do you organize bookmarks yeah. or your visuals on a page yep. you know etc um properly named entities oh, in your huge, ah, and huge difference is absolutely paramount like if you didn't do if somebody built a complex report and didn't do that i would rather start over yep just yep. give me the model i'll button I'll one build it, it just, just i'll button, rebuild button, it button, button yeah correct rebuild yeah. it because it is Ugh. not worth trying to understand like all the bookmarks what they're trying to do yes right like and it is it is you will put a smile on somebody's face if you properly like organized and named mm -hmm. your things in a power bi report but it is paramount to do that when you're going to build something that has a lot of navigation that has a lot of like the app features that you're naming them correctly like tab upper right button or you know like whatever the action in thing is going to do so it's easy for people to come in and understand and you're remember like you're building for somebody else so this is kind of like i'm somebody else and i'm coming in and looking at the report oh my gosh like this is a dumpster fire just throw it away versus i can i can open up these panes i can understand what's going on and actually modify or improve upon something if i need to so here, here's a, uh, a kind of a, a follow-up to the question you asked seth how much are you focusing on the story of a page or the report itself in terms of the measurements they're using compared to, are you focusing more on the style and the application in terms Man, of when you're I getting, think I, yeah. 
I, I think that's one of the biggest gaps that we have. I don't think you have that context typically mm. unless unless you're building that as part of the solutions and documenting that somewhere because I'm not aware of, nor have we really talked about like adding in another page that, that walks through the questions and answers, right? Yeah. Of, of a particular report. Like what is the design of this page? Why, why did I build it the way I did? You know, and I think that's what your question alludes to me, which my automatic response is like, wow, we don't we, we don't we don't have that in the report typically. Yeah, but I would say one can argue if you have a main KPI or metric on the report, there should be some association next to it to go. That's well, a why? lot of assuming, man. I know. I know. I, you know what they say about it? I us? mean, yes, it's very easy to see like, OK, a uh, summary page or a yeah. tab indicates what, what we're talking about. And I think in his representation, OK, well, like we're looking at COVID statistics. It's like, yeah. OK, I'm pretty sure I understand like the story in here. And, and there was a lot of like in context things, mm. but a lot of reporting is not that easy. Right. And I don't right. think a lot of the con context is in there for a, a, a new report user right. to just innately understand, like, here are the things and why we built them the way we did that would help a, a new user, like, completely understand, right. like, this, the context and story behind it to, like, enhance it again. Yeah. And maybe that's an, like, where do you think that belongs, though? Right. Because we're talking about people who are just going to pop open a report and, and, like, are we assuming that there's, you know, documentation somewhere else, or should that belong in the report itself? I think it's the the intent of getting into it. If if I'm migrating or transforming that report, maybe just doing a redo, I want to understand, okay, why do they put that measurement there? Where's it coming from? Then go through the objects. Like, wow, they used a yeah. gauge and a hidden table. Okay, to do what? And but if I'm trying to add things to my tool belt, I'm not as concerned about the story. I'm not as concerned about the numbers. It's like mm. You yes. know, so, but I think it goes to that intent where most of the time, if, if I were to pull the, this COVID report, if I were to pull a report on, wow, I'm going to really focus on the techniques they use. Like I think, um, you said wow, wow, but for people who don't know, wow, wow is workout, workout Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Yeah. Workout Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Mm -hmm. I'm going to really focus more than anything, especially with workout Wednesday, uh, submissions on the styling and going, how can I add that to my own tool belt? What visual yes. are they using or yep. what hidden yep. objects? But if I'm doing it from a work point of view, from, from a client, I'm probably going into that going, okay, trying to dissect the measurements they're using, why they use it that way yep. and then break it out. And so, so it is one, I just want to make this one point. Yeah, go ahead. Like when you're talking Sorry. about migration, I, mm. <laughs> As you know, Tommy, I've spent a lot of time over the last several years <laughs> migrating, especially when you migrate from other platforms yeah. into new reporting yes. tools where context matters. Understood, mm -hmm. like this this is why your point is throwing me for a loop. Because mm -hmm. if I would if I were to like say now, I'd be like, wow, maybe we should add this in the report because it is understanding why like the key themes or things that were built and why they're in there will help you understand whether or not you need to keep them in the new version. Yes. Right. Because yes. what innately happens a lot is you're, you as a report author have a different view about the data sets, what's important, um, the context by which the current customers uh, want, want to engage with it, whether that's internal or external, you, you rebuild this report and it's missing something and you didn't realize that your top five customers specifically requested that report or the top five users, right? Yes. And mm -hmm. you just left it out because you didn't think it was valuable. 
that's the kind of stuff that bites you yeah. big yeah. time in migrations. And that's why I'm like rethink. I'm sitting here going, hmm. oh, do we add another hidden page in here where I'm like, just summary, like here's the key things you need to you yeah. really need to be sure of why I why things were built in the way they were so that in the future, if you're going to expound upon it, like, you know, the intent of these pages was this. And because yeah. that value, yeah, I agree with that. That that's huge, but I'm like, how often are you migrating? Or I don't know. Oh, you're migrating, enhancing, doing different things. I'm I'm just my so mind's I, going, so I'm not articulating well. <laughs> I, I've done well. No, no. I think I agree with you, Seth, there on, on that point. And I'll say I've done a couple of major migrations, and I've seen a lot more customers now move away from Click or Click View or whatever that is. Click into Power BI, and so this is a common challenge. I feel like I'm identifying is that exact thing, right? People have requested these large tables of data and these other reporting tools that they're migrating from have been traditionally thought of as a data dumping tool, right? Hey, yeah. give me these views together, make these tables. Maybe there's a visual or two on there, but really it's about, you know, these other visualizations tool are really addressing the need of access to data with filters on top of it, right? So it's, it's more of an access to data versus an insights on data. And I think when we look at like the visualization side of Power BI, we're talking more about insights on data. And so I think to your point, Seth, it's really good if you're, especially if you're doing a migration from another platform or if you're killing off an old report and making a new report, there's some things that are, there are some very political things that go along with that. The The audience may have changed. The new leadership on that report or who's using that report <laughs> might be different now. So there's a whole, like the questions that that old yes. report was answering are probably not the same questions we need to answer now. And this is the thing with BI, which I think we're in a really good place right now is Companies are trying are are continually adapting. As you learn about your data, the questions you're asking are continually evolving, and this is why we are in a great space because there's always more work to be done because the questions are changing all the time. We're going from this is you know yesterday I used to know I used to need to know about sales. Well, something happened, and now we need to have all these new questions about something else that's of of interest to us. So we're always in a place where we're constantly the the moving. The end goal of a target for a report is ever changing. That final go post keeps getting picked up and moved somewhere else all the time. That, uh, I'm sure we, you guys have stores as well, but this is actually, that leads into a great situation. I literally just had where this was a, re, a page that had a hundred objects on it. It was absolutely insane. And the problem was it right didn't measure any bookmarks is performance analyzer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> But the problem was it wasn't measuring anything. The The client didn't like it. It came as a template. And, but all the measurements were just volumes and it was like, didn't tell you anything. Mm -hmm. They wanted to mm -hmm. transform and modify. Yes. That. And I actually had a conversation. I had built something basic or what I would consider basic. And I was actually telling my wife, I was like, I can't compete with that. Do, are they expecting that style with the new measure? Like, you know, what we're developing. And she had to like, in a sense, calm me down. So just simplify. And if they don't like it, you can try because so that's, the style yes. only leads to what they built. Like yeah, there's correct. no modificating. Yes. Uh, there's no modificating. Um, modification. Modification. Modifying. What the design was, was what yeah. you could do. Yes. And I think that's that's a misnomer for a lot of people. I think we, yes. we I think start, if I had to give words of wisdom to new report developers, it's start with the simplest, most basic report you can yeah. begin with. Just put a couple visuals, no stylizing, just get some stuff on the page and get people to react to it. Because I think we're, we're taking a very large mental shift from where we have been, which has been Excel, ClickSense or ClickView or whatever that is. And you, you're building tables of data and I'm just trying to dump stuff out. 
I mean, I was in business objects for a number of years. That's what we did. We just made tables, exported them, and then did all our own analysis. Yeah. Reporting services. SSRS, same thing. Yeah, same thing. So like now we have this new world of like, okay, now we're saying, okay, we're going to give you a tool that's going to let you keep the data in the tool and do more analytical things on there so you can actually impactfully draw out insightful information. And that's harder to do. And that's more of a studied technique over time. So I'm actually looking at, I'm doing a project right now where I'm, I'm pairing much closer the paginated report to a Power BI report. So, you know, pat, I, there's a couple of features in paginated reports that I really like right now. You can build a table of data in a paginated report and it pages through the information. So the report does, it renders a little bit slower, but it, it does have the ability of being able to page through the information. And you get almost unlimited downloads, if unlimited size download as a CSV. So when people are asking right. me, hey, I want to download this data, great. We're going to give you a overview page and then we'll, we'll dive you into the report and provide to you the tables of data that you need as a paginated report and then you can export it as Excel, PowerPoint, whatever the other yeah. things are. And it gets a bit more of a, you know, pixel perfect and or larger amounts of data extraction. So um, to go back to Sam's article here, I want to kind of circle back on a couple more points here, I think that were relevant here. Um, he mentioned clicking through the bookmarks. I thought that was a very good insight. And I felt that's a very, uh, uh, this is going to come out wrong, I think. That was a very beginner way of looking at how bookmarks interact with the report. So that, that is like, if you don't have access to the PBIX file and understand what's inside those bookmarks, bookmarks have always been a very big black hole in any report. You don't know what they are. You don't know what they collect, connect to. You don't know what they're doing. There's, there's almost no way for you to understand what the bookmark is actually touching inside the report. However, if you want to go to the pro mode, and this is like the next level up of bookmarking, you take your file, your PBX file, and you use PBI tools to extract the, the report. Yeah. And when you do that, you can see everything in the bookmarks. You can see what they're touching, what selection of data they're using. You can see if, the, if it's turned off on data or turned on on data. You can see every state of what is happening inside that bookmark. Now, I wish Microsoft would do a better job of exposing to us what is in the bookmark. Like what, what, like when you click one, is it snapping shots of data or visuals? Is it hiding or showing or what's going on inside the context of that bookmark? And they just don't do a good job in desktop showing you what the bookmark yeah. does other than you physically have to click it. Yeah. You basically might just do the extremes of my kid playing T-ball and him yeah. in AAA. Ma- major league. Yeah. yeah. We, major we went from T-ball to major league in one. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it I will say. It is much harder to get to that level, but once you understand how to do it, again, it's not super complicated, but once you get it set up, I think you get a very, very deep level of like understanding what's what's occurring inside the bookmarks. Yeah. I, I mean, just seeing the hide and show, right, of all the objects and how that tra- how that differs as you're clicking through um, is is it's mind boggling once you if yeah. you've never used them before. Right. Like it opens up this whole new arena and of, I think, taking a, a basic report author and helping them understand why we talk about, you know, building applications within Power BI, because you can extend the tool and these features in such a way that um, you, you get this experience and you can create these experiences that from an end user perspective look just like a page, which is kind of trips people up 
because even even um, UI UX folks or product mm-hmm. folks where they're like, okay, uh, you guys, we, we've been able to do this stuff and like now I want this and they present something and you just go, what? No, like there is no, I can't, I can't do right. that. Like you well, need a custom app, you need a custom web page to be able to like render. Yeah, especially as reports get more complex, and I don't want to say they were complicated. Uh, it's complex when the, the ones from the COVID or the storytelling or even the workout Wednesdays. I think the difference we have to remember too is those are more storytelling. There's a beginning, middle, end. Most of the reports that we're building are not going to be a subset of, of basis of time like that's going to be submitted for the New York Times in an article for one article. Yeah. We're building things that require flexibility. Mike, to your original point, mm. the questions are always evolving. And most of these bookmarks and objects are kind of built for a point in time for a measurement in time. And that's not really where we lean. I generally don't go through every bookmark, especially dissecting you. I'll go through the ones that interest me uh, or or spark the interest because there's not enough time to go through each item. Um, and I always go through the mind, the mind frame or the, the, um, the mindset of rather than all every single technique that they're using, what are ones that would be make sense from a story framing, not necessarily storytelling. Do you, so, Another random question around this one, so I'm, I'm going to transition here just slightly on topic-wise. There is a preview feature out now for the on-visual editing. Oh, don't get me angry. Oh, man. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, so we're talking, about, we're, we're talking about dissecting things on a report, right? So we're talking about getting into visuals. So there's, there's two main points here, and I hope uh, all of the one of Microsoft employees that are listening to the podcast, I hope you're listening to this part. So I'll, I'll snip at this one and send it to you because this is a pain point for me. Right now... Mm-hmm. If you if you highlight a visual and click on it, it is almost unusable to be able to switch data fields on an existing visual. Like the, the complication that it requires to get between I, I like having the data field window open because I can see all the tables and the fields, the measures. And to get those visual items over like I'm not I haven't figured out my new workflow for the new on visual editing. But in addition to this, if you turn on filters, data, format, bookmark, selection, all the performance analyzers, sync slide, all the things, right? Turn them all on. Every single one of those are icons on the far right-hand side of the page. You can right-click. And you can't open multiples of them. Yes, you can. How do or you... Cl- right-click on one, of the, um, on one of the icons. Why? But this is my... Why? I don't why know. Do I, why do I have to right-click, it open in new... This is ridiculous. Like, I should be able to control-click I should be able to just select click like oh it's, it's a right click open panel. not intuitive in it at all no and oh, yeah. so, horrible. so I was about to, I was about to go off on this too right so it's horrible UI experience where where in order to understand all these interactions on a page what was the first thing I said like uh, this, this video open. is like almost a year mm-hmm. old right so it's it's the existing experience where you have bookmarks and selections and those things are right next to each other yeah where you're clicking on them and understanding yes. what's on the page yep and I I was in the same boat I didn't know this was right I was like I'm only getting bookmarks or selection but there's a right horrible click on those icons that you can open in a new pane to get the experience but it doesn't that, save it if you go to a new page it's it's the most frustrating. Wow. It's and very we're, dumb. Yeah, and according to <laughs> if we're developers, we do need these windows. It's not just PowerPoint where I just need a single pane. Yeah, we're at all. Don't say that swear word. At I me. mean, if if you were gonna if you were gonna invest, don't say the in <laughs> in a new experience, like maybe give us the ability to take out that pane, pop, pop them out. <laughs> 
let me let me pop it out. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Anyway, that's the that's the great, but it, yeah, it would have made it much more challenging had Tommy not been here. <laughs> and I would have been like, but yeah, you can't do it. Because right click. Wow. Yeah, it's a strong but I mean, again, this is my this is my gripe with this new thing. Any type of this on visual editing, everything yeah. they have added has in my opinion, has just added more clicks to everything. And in, in my opinion, it makes it much more complicated. So I get what they're trying to do. They're trying to minimize the right-hand side of the screen, right? You, you know, everything you need to do is on the visual. So click the visual and, you know, double-click into it, change the names of stuff, change the titles, add things you want. But on the other hand, it just convolutes. And so now I'm jumping between the visual and then all the things that I used to be using and on the right-hand side. And so now I'm constantly scanning between the visual and the side and the visual like back and forth all the time. Right. The mental, the processing, and it's not just because it's new, because to your exact point, we need to look at what formatting they're doing for what data they're doing and then see, understand, understand what's associated with that. And yes. you're going back and forth and you're losing that context. Yes. Um, it's frustrating. And I'll say the other thing I really dislike here is when you click on the visual, you can see the data on the visual. There's no like you have to click a visual and then you have to click There's a the lot other button clicks. to show you which columns were added to that visual. There's and again, I'm, yeah. And then I, I find myself You're fumbling over context. where to click, how to change the like changing visuals now are much harder. Yeah. It, it's not as easy as it used to be. So I, I really just dislike this new experience i'm they're probably going to get it better they're going to refine it make it easier to use but i mean if you click on a visual it should immediately open up the build a visual options it should just be open because i want to see what columns are being used from where from what table exactly. from what tables it's just not not intuitive you should use anyway, sorry automate. for devolving <laughs> or, or one of those click things to see how many more clicks and measure that i might oh. do power bi oh 100 percent. like yes Things that you used to be able to do in one or two clicks are now like three or four or five clicks now. I mean, it has increasingly clicked, increased the clicking amount. How that is more user, like how much, how that is more accessibility options, I don't know. Yeah. Screen readers must hate this thing. <laughs> I so I I know I know balance is is everything, right? And uh, Rafael even says like, hey, with smaller monitors, like it, it make like to be able to collapse it, things makes sense, but. Um, the more hidden you make these features or like even options, the more difficult it becomes for beginners to understand that those features are there. Right? Totally agree. Like if you were going to like in my mind, unless there's going to be so many viewable things that you'd have to create a new icon for everyone, but they're already creating icons because if you click on all the options in view, they show up as icons on the right, then just give me the icons. Like mm -hmm. then I know that they're in the same order every time, as opposed to me, depending on which one I enable is going to be in a different order every time. So now I have a different user experience every time I'm trying to open or close something, or now that I know right click and expand into a pane, um, the, the different things, it's just pivot tables don't even work that way. Yeah. yeah. No greed. So where, where I would maybe take this last part of the conversation here too, is I think everything we've been talking about has really been focusing on like those highly stylized, those very mm -hmm. visually appealing reports. And I want to just encourage people. Um, I would say from a, from a learning standpoint, go out into the community, go find reports that you find are interesting. Go find reports that are doing things you don't know how to do and learn how they're building those reports, download them, tear them apart. I mean, there's a lot of stuff on, on the community. There's a lot of stuff on GitHub. Um, that's what those are meant to be doing. They're there learn from them. And so I think the techniques that Sam provides in his video are very solid, right? 
you know, look at all the bookmarks, find all the elements on the page, um, start scanning through those items. And I would also agree with, with Sam as well, in these more highly stylized reports, you're less worried about the data modeling and you're more worried about what the visual interactions are doing and, and producing that data application-like thing. What I would say is I would caution new users is don't feel like every report you build has to be this way. I would say this is a rare case. It, this, this, is, this is a rare situation where you spend so much time. I mean, if you look at these reports, there's 10, 30, hundreds of hours spent developing yeah. and building and, yeah. you know, they're creating yeah. custom backgrounds and custom styles and all the visuals are being, um, you know, stylized to have black backgrounds and white text. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of work that goes into making sure every single one of those properties are stylized the right way. I've seen a couple people do, I don't know if you've seen the, the speeded up videos of someone does a build of a report and they start with the, like, a, like here's the, here's the final solution. And then they go from the very beginning and they just record them building the report, which I find actually fairly fascinating doing a speed build on a report and just watching what they do and what they click on. But if you watch that, Take note, Microsoft, look how much time they're spending going back and forth and adjusting properties and properties. in the plane and up and down the pane and so many ch changes in properties all the way through. And that's probably, they're recording these videos after they've already built a report that looks good. So they've, this is like their second pass yeah. on it yeah. and there's still a they ton of clicks. Click, yeah. So they already know what they're clicking on. So to me in general, there's just not an easy way. There's not a, a, a really good layer of how do I get good looking reports out of the box? And so... With that, I'll kind of just put a little ad pitch in here as well. If you haven't experienced it or haven't thought through it, layouts are a really good solution for this. So we, we like three years ago, I think, I think it's three years ago now, uh, Power BI Tips started producing layouts for this exact reason. Here's a stylized report with no data. I think it's longer is, than that. Maybe it's even been four, four years. It's been a while. We've been doing the podcast for two years. So. But Seth and I have been beating this idea up for quite a long time. Here, here's a layout. So um, I'll put the link in here in as well. So if you want to go look at what those are, it's the idea is here's a stylized report with no data. And, and that is the, the idea of this is to help you get past that over that hurdle um, of just beginning to build that report, um, build templates, do some exploration on things. So those are, those are uh, reports or things that are out there that you can go, you know, use today, start right away. And it gives you like initially a starting point for things that have already been pre-stylized for you. And so I think, this is what we need more of. I think we need more of this ability to be able to build stylized reports quicker um, and, and be able to help you build, like, there's a handful of really good designers. Let them design the designs. Yeah. Let us show up and just drop data into it. At, at the very minimum, though, I would, I would argue that every, every single one of us, if you're serious about it, saying that you're a Power BI report author, you should have one of these type of pages. You should build a complex report mm -hmm. page that incorporates some of the page navigation, drill through, like yes. take some of the learnings that you're seeing in, in this example of enterprise DNA and how to, how to dissect what a page is going on and Great. understand like all of these elements contribute to these really unique experiences and you investing the time in having an example of your work not only gives you experience, not only gives you the understanding of like, hey, some of these tools out here, like the theme generator or mm -hmm. what Mike's talking about in shortcuts of like, we've created these templates that you can uniquely use, like the time savings in there. Yeah. But also, also this is like, this is something you can have for your CV, your resume. Like this yeah. speaks more than you saying, like 
building a, f- a full paragraph of all of your experience about Power BI visualization, show people. Yep. Right? There, I, and, and the reason I'm saying that is the vast majority of report authors don't know about these features in depth that they've created a page like this. So uh, it's, it's well worth your time to engage in these features and build those interactions and try to build a page that fits some theme, like pick a picture. It doesn't have to be like as amazing as all of these, you know, folks who spend many, many years in UI UX design and that like predominantly they're bringing a lot of visualization expertise into these contests. And even, in, you know, in the enterprise DNA, it's like, oh, this group of people over here submitted this one and this group over here because they come from different backgrounds, data, mm-hmm. visualization. Yes. You don't have to be an expert at all of them, but if you know the feature is there, right? And you know how, how to build it and you've done it before, then that helps you in in articulating, hey boss, that's that's great that you want that, but that that that's going to take me sixty hours to build, right? Mm-hmm. And and forty of that is just the visualization part of that. Like if we want to make that investment, that's fantastic. But you building that into your repertoire is always always a a, a valuable thing. And that, just and be ready to speak to it. Say. Yeah, just be ready to speak to it. So whatever you did, be able to break it down. Don't copy paste someone else without knowing what exactly they did. that though, right? It, like going out here and taking somebody's template and like copying pasting that into a page. I don't like that's not what I'm suggesting. What yeah. I'm suggesting is you take videos like this. You understand the bookmarks. You understand the selections, and you build your own version of something because you'll you'll see the the time it takes, mm-hmm. right? And and kind of the pain of of how long creating something that beautiful is and why you don't see a ton of that everywhere for every report, right? There's a reason for that. It takes a lot of time to do it. Awesome. Well, with that, you've burned out a pretty good hour with us. Uh, We've talked a ton around how to dissect a report, what kind of report should be built like this or not built like this. We've talked about this, I think, a lot on the podcast. So I hope you added some value to your day. If you like what we're talking about, if you like what you're seeing here, uh, we'd highly recommend you just share this with somebody else. Uh, let someone else know, either share it on social media or share it through uh, someone at work. If you're talking with them, hey, this podcast is interesting. I'm learning from it. Um, we really appreciate your, your, um, the ability for you to, to push out and, and share this across the community. We're, we're just really excited about all the cool things that are happening and that are, that are built with Power BI. We, we live and breathe data, uh, as you saw the shirt earlier. You know, we, we, we literally do eat, sleep, Power BI, repeat. That's what we do. So with that, Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? You can find the podcast anywhere they are available, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts. If you're listening, make sure to subscribe, leave a rating. It helps us a ton on Apple and Spotify. If you want to join the conversation live, you can do so on all Power BI Tips social media platforms at Power BI Tips. Uh, Join us at 7.30 a.m. Central, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Awesome. Thank you all very much. We appreciate your time and we'll catch you next time.